Um, and then they're going to put you on your back on a bench press. And they're going to say, get in the same end position that you were just in in a row. And now you're going to do a pushing activity, um, which basically creates the same representation in the axial skeleton. Therefore, the, the premise behind a balance really doesn't exist. Because right. you're, this, you're literally creating the same positions under those. Circles. Yeah, and it's another way to think about that. I think would be helpful. Would be you're you're squeezing the balloon with both activities. Yeah. So we talked about that. Without that pressure question. of the Without pose. Question. Welcome to Reconsider. I'm Bill Hartman. This is the podcast to challenge you to ask better questions, to look beyond traditional models of thinking, and arrive at better health and fitness solutions. Push, push and pull balance. Mm. The, you mean the you mean the pull and pull balance? <laughs> yeah, pull and then pull more. It's pull see, and pull some more. <laughs> we we push so much, and the shoulders our shoulders get rounded forward, and we get into this kyphotic posture. <laughs> right there, you go. So That's we need to we need to extend ourselves mm. and bring our shoulder shoulder blades oh. back and Ugh. pack <laughs> our neck. Hurts me just to think about it. Shove, shove our. Should we, should we roll with this? With what? <laughs> Seems like we're push, on it. Push and pull balance. Sure, we're on the push and pull balance. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what to. What do you call? What do you call the episode on push and pull balance? Uh, symmetrical training. Um, I mean, we could talk about that. We could talk about how inherently asymmetrical the body is. That would be good. I think so. If we maybe we talk about that. Maybe we, we talk about um, why it might be useful to only do an activity on one side. Okay. I think that'll be good. And then we can throw in the whole push-pull balance well, thing. It, but see, okay, <clears throat> here's the problem. Here's the problem. <laughs> there's no such thing as doing something on one side. Sure. Well, that, it, that's another thing. There. It's like full people talk about like full body workouts versus isolation training. It's like, well, <laughs> your your body is not it's not separated into like sections. You can't like gate off your arms from sure your, you can. Yeah, Michael's been doing this for decades. <laughs> yeah, it's just the the preacher bench really isolates the bicep. But like, what about what about your your legs that you're dripping the the pad underneath with? Yeah, or like you're doing a you're doing a lap pull down and you're squeezing the machine and you're what, pressing as, your knees as, up into it. As soon as you hold your breath, <laughs> as soon yeah. as yeah, it's like you've yeah. just you've just linked everything together. <laughs> right. So then we can we can kind of cover a lot of bases here talking about isolation, talking about, I guess, uh, the the misconception that there you aren't using your whole body at all times. Yeah, that's that's sort of like a that's a pretty poor representation. Well, it's an interesting one because you're you're certainly you're certainly requiring a, a part portion of your body to work harder. Yeah, well, em I think emphasis would be a emphasis is a better word than than I mean isolation is kind of ridiculous, but yeah, yeah, when emphasis because certain under certain circumstances you're definitely you know emphasizing. Yeah, and we can areas. we can also by movement by movement, but but you're also emphasizing um, aspects by not moving. Okay, elaborate on that. 
Well, okay, do a dumbbell, do a standing dumbbell curl. You're displacing load away from the center of gravity at some point in time, which means that that for you to execute the the exercise as traditionally performed, you would have to maintain some measure of position of the rest of the body, which means you have to push down into the ground, which means you have to resist the displacement, which means that there's a turn that you're going to resist. And so there's a lot of stuff going on here, right? Yeah. Everybody gets distracted by the sharp, shiny objects, which is the movement of the of the elbow. If again, we're talking about a dumbbell curl or something like that, and and they totally negate the fact that you know everything has to try to hold position against it. One of the great limitations of of your ability to curl more weight is the fact that you can't hold the rest of the body still as you're bending the elbow and displacing the load. Right. So if I want bigger and bigger arms, it's like, okay, you got to make the rest of the body bigger, um, most likely, or at least develop the capacity to hold yourself in a position so you can stabilize yourself against the weight. But this is why you would use um, some uh, machine based training. If hypertrophy is a goal, machine based training is actually quite useful because it adds to the ability to hold a body part in a position and move something else. Right. So there are right. benefits to that in that respect, not necessarily healthy benefits from a long-term orthopedic perspective, but there's, there are benefits because again, if it makes it easier for me to hold the rest of the body still and move a single element of that to prevent the effect that would result in hypertrophy, then more power to you. Yeah. Because the machine creates a constraint that allow, doesn't allow for you to turn as easily. Well, it, it, it correct, and it, it makes it easier for you to actively not turn, right? So there's yeah, like it, it's twofold. So that that leads me to wanting to talk about uh, movement in general. So just understanding that movement is occurring through turning and the cancellation of turns in order to create these movements that we have been deemed in these different planes of motion, right? It's really just the the cancellation of. So if the example of holding a heavy weight in one hand, the weight is going to pull me in a certain direction and I need to resist that. Right. But it, the, what's happening is like the weight is is forcing me to turn in a certain direction and then I have to turn against that. Correct. And, and we so, use this all the time intentionally. So, you know, it's something like a like a suitcase carry. You're carrying weight in one in one hand. And then there's an effect on the carry side. And then there's an effect on the non-carry side. If we could actually divide the body into two sides, which we can't, but point being is, is sure. creating a turn, we're intentionally creating a turn in one direction, and then we're going to negate that. And then the negation of that turn results in most likely the effect that we're actually trying to achieve. So for instance, if you're carrying a, a, a kettlebell in your right hand, the amount of internal rotation that you have to apply to the ground on the other side of the body actually increases for you to hold position against that resistance. Otherwise, the resistance would tip you over in the direction of the resistance. And it, it actually does. Like it, in, in some cases, the weight's just too darn heavy and it's going to pull you over. And you can see that one a mile away, right? Right. Well, it's, yeah, that and that comes down to the that becomes starts to come down to the physics of like where your center of mass is, where where you are standing within your center of gravity, how tall you are, so that uh, what what sort of 
structure you have are you a wider individual or are you a narrower individual because that's going to change where your center of mass is correct and that will change the amount of space that you have underneath you in order to manage that center of gravity and then with this example of holding a weight that's shifting me off of that it'll be easier to knock uh, a narrower individual off of that center of gravity or outside of their center of gravity right because they just have a smaller space to land in to begin with yeah so then okay so talking about i don't really know what we're talking about still i'm still waiting for it to like kind of <laughs> to kind of solidify into a unidirectional thing but maybe that's not what what this episode is going to be about so we've talked about this is the potpourri of, of <laughs> well <movement>. yeah i'm <laughs> hoping by the end we'll, we'll do that thing they do on tv shows where they let all these different characters have their arcs and then eventually it all comes back together at back. the end oh there we go uh that's that's what we're gonna we're gonna try into to do into the recon universe yeah the extended <laughs> we're in the extended universe this is the this is the uh elseworlds episode <laughs> where where we talk about like push pull balance and full body training and stuff like that oh, oh yes there's so, so yeah let's so let's kind of talk about how let's expound more on how you can't really do anything on one side or you can't really do a sick you think you're doing like a single arm exercise so like if you're doing a a single arm press with a with a dumbbell or you're doing a single arm row with a dumbbell mm -hmm. uh you're not isolating one side of the body all of the other parts of the body are are managing what's happening on the other side and also in many times contributing to the motion of uh of that exercise right i mean so in in some cases the other side is actually a, a a point like a center of rotation in in some cases it is is moving in the opposing direction relative to the the movement that's taking place again this is this is what promotes the emphasis versus um and, and this is where you'll you'll probably see people and um, my consumption is very low but I'm sure that there, there's people that are demonstrating <clears throat> exercises somewhere in the world. And they're saying, this is why you do it this way. They're not expressing this concept, um, but they they will say in, as a point of emphasis, if, if you're trying to train this muscle group or whatever, this is how you would you know, limit your technique. Whereas if the technique was looser and you're creating a pivot point that is no longer in that same place, you're not going to get the same effect. And and again, yeah. see the the technical glitches throughout. I think I think something, I think a model, a, a useful mental model for people to have, or just a, an image to sort of analogize with, would be to show what's actually happening when we move a limb. Would be like the wacky, wavy, inflatable tube man. That you, uh, you to, yeah, to, to a certain degree, I think that would be useful. Yeah, I mean, just understanding what what's so because i want to get back to talking about uh, what what many would refer to as regional interdependence or the fact that you can you know there's there's a nervous aspect but there's also a mechanical aspect to why if you have say you have an an injured arm like you injure your left wrist why is it that it it seems that people who continue to train with their right arm and the rest of their body are actually able to recover faster than someone who just stops training upper body altogether. 
Well, I, I think there's a couple of perspectives and and I, I think that there's probably something that holds a little bit more weight than than the opposing perspective. So the, the one thing is, is like, they'll say, well, if you train the, the unaffected limb, then you can still maintain strength. So they're, they're going to use the word strength in the, the affected limb that can't be trained. In essence, however, what you're doing is you are training the, the remainder of the body to maintain its ability to hold or create, to hold a position or create movement. And then that's what allows that extremity to be able to demonstrate further strength had you just stopped training entirely. Right. right. So it's, it's the systemic uh, interaction that allows that affected limb to to demonstrate force production. It's not the fact that you get some magical crossover. I mean, there, there, there probably is some sort of crossover in the nervous system that allows some measure of output to be maintained to the other extremity. But I would hazard to guess that. And again, if you compare people that, that, that continue to train versus don't, they always do better. Yeah. It's going to be a a much more of a systemic relationship of positions. And again, controlling position, producing the compressive strategies that are necessary to produce force and so on. Right. It's a, it's a combination of factors. It's not that you get, it's not like you say, Oh, I'm going to train my biceps on my right side. So therefore my biceps on my left side is going to, to make a gain. It's like, no, you're training your extremity on this side. The, the rest of the system has to maintain and hold position, resist the rotation. And then I learn to maintain the resistance of rotation. Then by the time I can train this extremity, I have that capacity to allow the other extremity to be demonstrating force. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, useful to understand that the and so when you're talking about like maintaining pressure and compression and all of these things it's the the compression that your body can create set like say centrally so say it's a rib cage pelvis what people would call their their core things like that yeah, <laughs> yeah spit your spit your coffee oh. out this morning um <laughs> Hang on, hang on. So they, I, I'm trying to chest pain. I'm <laughs> trying to trying to look past the people thinking that okay, well, my tricep is what's pressing the the barbell right. up in a bench press. It's really this. It's really the pressure that you can create in your body that can kind of extend out toward the extremities, sort of like that. When you're talking about putting blowing air into a into a tube or into like a balloon, and it the balloon expanding away. That's right. sort of what's happening when you're, when you're pressing um, away. It would be, it would be the, it would be take that air, squeeze the balloon. Yeah. Right. If, if you could, if you could think of, of a, like a pressurized hose, if I was doing a bench press. Okay. And as I, as I straighten my arms into the load, I would have to have the, I would have to have a proximal uh, generation of pressure that would be propagated into the extremity to allow that extremity to straighten, just like literally, just like, just like the, you know, take a fire hose that's got, that's laying out on the ground, empty, pump the water through it. And that thing gets highly pressurized and it becomes very rigid. Same thing with your extremity. Yeah. So we're talking about a closed system. So think about that, that long, like uh balloon animal balloon. If I squeeze the middle of the balloon animal balloon, the, the pressure goes out. 
So just kind of thinking about it, I guess that would probably be useful. Uh, so just understanding that like muscles as, as movers, not working by themselves, it's not just like this muscle fires and this muscle fires and this muscle fires and that moves my arm. It's, it's more about the muscles can helping you to manage the pressure and volume inside of a closed system. Right. Like the, that's the, how you get the shape change in the arm, right? So yeah, a, a bent elbow and a straight elbow are just two different shapes, right? right? One is one is is going to be a a much higher pressure strategy than the other, right? You think sure. about how much how much weight um, you could curl, and then how much weight you could press or do a dip or something along those lines, and you'll see that there's quite a difference. Right. And then you, and then the, the more compressed you get, the fewer options that you have to move through space. And then you have, then you get to the point, the end game land where you have, well, you, you can use power lifters as an example. You have someone who's become so compressed that the only way that they can actually get into the positions that they need to perform their sport are going to be with lots of extra load. Which is advantageous for them. Yeah, but that's that's uh, when when you try to have a normal person that wants to be able to rely on their ability to move, <laughs> get out of bed in the morning and right. move through space, just stacking more and more load and compression on top of someone is actually going to be a hindrance. Well, there's and and no question about that. And then that's where that's where things become problematic. That's where um, you're you're actually loading structure with normal movement because of the limitations that have been created by the increases in force production. And so this is where you get achy knees, achy hips, achy shoulders, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. Okay. And that, and that I think would be a good segue into the whole push pull balance thing. So just explaining to people that may not know, cause this is, you know, anyone that's in the strength and conditioning field and physical therapy field for the last 10 years or more knows a lot about, you know, this, this proportion and ratio of, you know, pushing versus pulling. So there was this thought for a while that it still exists, this thought. So I guess this is good that we're talking about it, that <laughs> pressing exercises had become too predominant in training. So benching and overhead press and incline bench press and all of these things and needing to balance out the shoulders somehow by pulling more to use the rotator cuff muscles uh, to help be more supportive of, you know, that the idea that, that the things on the backside of your body, you don't see, so you don't train, which may have been true in a lot of bodybuilding senses. Um, you just have to, you have to focus on being able to do both things and actually overemphasizing pulling in order to sort of balance out the shoulder. And uh, let's just talk about like why that thought should be reconsidered. <laughs> Okay, so we, we can do this with two activities as a as a comparison. Sure. To, to, to paint to paint a picture. A a bilateral symmetrical rowing activity, so like a barbell row or a machine row where both arms are pulling, right? Yeah. And and so I'm pulling both both extremities towards me by tradition. They're gonna teach a very strong retractive kind of a technique where where the shoulder blades are going to come together on the posterior aspect of the body. There's going to be um, tension in that direction. 
by tradition, they're going to say that that that's going to move you towards extension. Okay. Um, and then they're going to put you on your back on a bench press. And they're going to say, get in the same end position that you were just in in a row. And now you're going to do a pushing activity, um, which basically creates the same representation in the axial skeleton. Therefore, the, the premise behind a balance really doesn't exist. Because right. you're, this, you're literally creating the same positions under those. Yeah. Things. And it's another way to think about that, I think would be helpful would be you're you're squeezing the balloon with both activities. Yeah. So we talked about that, without that pressure question. of the without pose. Question. Without question. Yeah. For, for a couple of reasons. So, so for a couple of reasons. So, so anytime I do a bilateral symmetrical activity, so if I got two hands on a barbell, two hands on a, on a, on any bar, chin up bar, whatever, whatever, you are canceling out rotations, right? So I'm either turning both rotations in towards me or I'm turning both rotations away from me under the circumstance, right? Versus if I was going to turn from, from right to left, right? I have this, this representation of turning in on one side, turning in on the other, and that's what creates the turn. Whereas if I'm negating a turn, I have to turn both sides inward towards myself or both sides away. And that's basically what we're doing under those circumstances. Um, now, the, the thing that, that we should be addressing is the ability of the scapula to move through its full excursions relative to the axial skeleton and relative to the humerus. That's That should be the goal from, from an orthopedic health perspective, because what this does then is it gives us all of the available movement options that we should have versus continuing to train a reduction in those movement options. But here's the pickle. If I want to learn to increase force production, aka I want to get stronger in the gym, I have to reduce the number of options because the greater the relative motions, the harder it is for me to produce force. If I can negate those relative motions, just like we were talking about negating the turns, I can actually increase my force production. So there's a so there's there's a trade-off. There's always a trade-off. So the solution to force production is reduction of relative motions. With the consequence of reduction of relative motions is I'm potentially limiting my movement options and creating problems. So there you go. So there's the tough decision to make. Right. It might be it might be helpful for people to know the sort of hierarchy when you think about movement and just the human organism and the the things that we're we need to be able to do the the ability to move and expand into a space is going to be uh sort of fundamental so the right. ability to absorb force we're talking about force we can we can go to your we can use your chart that your fancy little chart that you've made up of you know absorbing force producing uh -huh. force yes producing force quickly right and be able to do it repeatedly with, you know, some type of endurance. And I'll throw that, I'll throw the image up uh, if that's okay with you. Of course. To put, to put on the, the screen of what I'm talking about there. Yeah. So then if, if your solution to a problem, if Bill is saying that, and we're saying that the scapula's ability to move how it's supposed to move is being hindered or being restricted somehow, how do you, how do you, build the foundation for that scapula to move well again it's not by just using the muscles if if the problem that got me into my shoulder injury was because of this over squeezing squeezing it more is not going to be the solution 
Correct. Because because you're you're, you're just augmenting what what is already pre-existing and caused the problem in the first place. And this will be identified. I mean, this is going to be identified in any number of ways. Um, you'll see you'll see folks that will <clears throat> they'll blame they'll blame a uh, uh, man. I, I'm going to make myself sick to my stomach. Um, they're going to blame stability versus mobility. Ah, yes. As as the as the problem, and so then they'll they'll do um, a a they'll do a positional force producing test, which would be traditionally referred to as a manual muscle test, right? And the manual muscle test will test AKA weak, right? And um, then they will say that, oh, you need to do this activity for this muscle, and then this muscle will, will get strong again. When the problem was that it was just a positional problem to begin with, it's like you didn't have access to the position that allows a muscle to produce force in the relationship of that segment of the body relative to the rest of the body. And then sometimes they do an activity that they can say, oh, it's this exercise is for this muscle. But what they're actually doing is they're improving the relationship of that segment of the body to the rest of the body that allows it to demonstrate the, the um, propagation of force production that then restores the so-called stability. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to attempt to give in a practical example that oh, someone that doesn't, that someone that doesn't know anything about physical therapy or strength and conditioning could understand what we're talking about are when you, we say you, all these hey, things. Can, can I take a guess? Can I take a guess? <laughs> what? Are you, are you, are you going to talk about rubber bandy exercises? No, no. Oh, I was hoping. I'm going gonna... to talk about supporting yourself on your elbows or your hands and how that can potentially oh, that help. Too. The... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> when people, when people do activities, so we're talking about the scapula. So we're talking about a shoulder, say, let's say, talk about like a shoulder impingement. And what Bill was saying was, you know, position affecting the muscle activity and then this different segments of the body sort of working together it's like a wave that and the word propagate was used when we, we say we propagate when we talk about waves so if i need to understand how the scapula looks it's kind of this curved surface so if i have if i have a really squeezed rib cage that my scapula is supposed to rest on it's not really going to be able to find stability if that's what they were measuring so if if a rounded bone is resting on a flat surface, the muscles associated, the rotator cuff muscles and whatever else we want to talk about when it, in There's reference to, to that attach the scapula. I don't yeah. Think 17. That. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so none of those, not, I shouldn't say none, but some of those muscles are going to be biased to working more than others when that relationship of the rib cage and the scapula doesn't exist. So what, what, what typically if someone wants to restore the ability to move their shoulder through range of motion, a, a normal progression for that person that may work would be something supported if they were to support themselves on their elbows on a bench, say, mm -hmm. and press themselves away. Any sort of activity that allows that rib cage to sort of move backwards and, and recreate that rounded shape is then going to allow the shoulder blade to rest on a surface that's more appropriate. Mm -hmm. And then you change the pressure and volume situation. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that pos new position of the scapula that's based on the position of the rib cage being able to expand is going to allow for the muscles to work in an appropriate way so that as you move your arm, 
the space is there so that you don't run into that impingement anymore as you take your arm overhead or out to the side. Well, you you know, you have a great example in your in your home. Um, you have a little man that learned to overcome gravity, and that's what he did. Right. He, right. He, he did it through, you know, experimentation, trial and error and kind of figured out how to do it on his own. Yeah. And, and specifically in this, he, learned how to, he literally learned how to push into the ground. He learned how to move air inside of his body to create the appropriate shape um, um, through a level of very high motivation, I'm sure. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, and, and he wasn't worried about his push pull balance or anything like that. He was just trying to get up. Right. He a giant head that he had to hold up. Right. And she just kind of figured it out. It's like, oh, this strategy works really, really well. And so that's essentially what we're doing. Yeah. And it's, you know, pressing up on your elbows, pressing up on your hands, going to kneeling, progressing to standing. These these are the things that we typically see reverse engineered in a therapy or training environment. Because it seems as you get closer to the floor for a lot of people that have movement issues, it seems easier for them to do different activities like reaching and rowing and and roll and rolling and turning. Uh, and that, that isn't a coincidence. That isn't right. just some random coincidence. Well, again, what all it's doing is restoring the, the ability to change shape and access a space. And then again, we're, we're, we're managing a pressure related phenomenon that allows us to hold a position. Like just for me to hold my arm out means that I, that, that within this, the center, I have to maintain control of this position. Otherwise the arm doesn't go up. Right. And so it's the same premise. It's just, now we're going to do it against load. Right. What I'm trying to remember a quote you told me a long time ago is um, pressure management gives us position, position gives us muscle activity, and then muscle activity gives us performance. Is that is that close to what? I don't know. I don't know. I've slept. Is that true? What I what did I what I just it's, say? I mean, it's on the you're on the you're on the right right track. I mean, you got the right yeah. idea. You know. So that I I just wanted to give something that people could hang on to a little bit more because we're, we're talking about a lot of things and we we did we did get a comment about how we we lose some people in our ramblings so i want to try to do i want to try to do uh the best that we can so that the people watching this i, I don't want to just speak to the trainers and therapists of the world although they they need to hear some of this stuff for sure yeah. Well, they're gonna they're we're 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 giving them we're giving them ammo. Yeah, that that's true. But I I guess the goal when we set out to start doing this was I I would like this to be something that a trainer or therapist could say to their client or their patient. Hey, listen to this, and it would be something that we could we could use to bridge the gap between the layman and the expert. Well, you know, um, I don't know how to respond exactly to that. <laughs> yeah, you're Bill Bill is is too far in his own universe. <laughs> Bill Bill is Bill exists in a different galaxy and I have too many I have too many personal rules of things that I just won't talk about. Right. Yeah. Well, and it's you I think the the more 
that you're in this and the more that you're able to work sort of in and of yourself, it's, it's harder to be able to relate back to, because in a lot of cases, people are just going to come to you and you just have to sort of tell them what to do. And you give them enough of an understanding that they can use, but you don't want to give them too much of an understanding because then they start to like become the interference towards progress. Right. Uh, but then that, the problem there might be that it skews us too far in one direction of sort of not being able to, uh, when we talk about these things, say it in such a, a basic way. I think well, that's a challenge for anyone. Here's the problem, though. Here's the problem, is that um, when, you, when you say explain it in a basic way, um, some of the some of the jargon that gets used is misused and then it's misunderstood and then it's, yeah. that is passed on. And, and now we have so much undoing to do. That's that's the big challenge. Yeah. So maybe right. that's yeah, that's maybe it's, what we're what would the best the best service we can do to our listeners would be. To, that's what we're trying to do, really, is is get rid of some of the the confounding jargon. Yeah. And it, you know, it, here's some something that, that people need to understand as, as they listen to this is like, we have, to, you and I having these conversations, like we could have this different conversation offline in the old time, because we, we speak a similar language. And then to reach a broader audience, like we're still, you know, my, my big challenge is trying to go back and then try to relate this to how people are thinking about these things, right? Right. And, and again, you know, there's certain words that that make me a little sick to my stomach, but like I still can use them if I had to. It's just that I, they're they're just not meaningful to me anymore. Yeah, and it's it's good that we right, and it's good that we talk about these words that you don't necessarily like because it's it's tough to you know we know that this jargon exists. We try to use we try to use wording that's more appropriate to the thing that's actually happening. But by doing that, someone that is stuck in jargon land is going to think that we're creating another set of jargon when what we're really trying to do is speak based on principle and based on what something actually is uh, versus like creating new language to describe something that already has been described and continues to be described over time. Well, it there's nothing wrong with jargon. Jargon saves time as long as it's meaningful. But but to use a to use a a um, a term, and again, just mobility. It's like everybody has their own picture of what that would be. You didn't even gag though. Um, trust me. Like, <laughs> are you are you squeezing a pen into your leg right now? Just I'm a little <laughs> nauseated. I, I need my I need my I need my little fidget thing. Uh, just squeezing it'll, a stress ball, it's popping in your yeah. hand as you I say my, it. I got my little I got my little spinner. I got my little spinner right here. There you go. This is my little spinner. This this is how I need stress. <laughs> no, it's okay. like there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with jargon. It's a, it, but it, but it, but it has to it has to be useful and it has to be meaningful. When it's when it's just used either. Um, you know, sound a certain way or to just sort of bypass somebody's question right so i'm going to use i'm going to use jargon that that is is not understandable to to someone it's like that that's what we're trying to avoid but we got to bring people 
with us, so to speak, because they're already in that land. And to some degree, if they're not, if they're not industry people, then their, their level of understanding is going to be radically different. Right? Yeah. It's like it, a good example of this would be the, the, the prevalence of certain mobility training. And when it comes to like, well, why do you, why is it important to do, someone might ask why it's important to do like large joint circle motions or something like that. And then the answer becomes like, oh, well, it's because the the joint capsule and the, the nerve afferents in the joint capsule. And then when someone that doesn't know anything about a joint hears that, their, their only choice is to either say, what's that, which most people won't do, or they'll just go, okay, and they'll shake their head and they'll just do their exercise because someone clearly with expertise because they use jargon and had some confidence in the way that they presented it to them, told yes. them to do it. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, let's let's when, do it. At, at its simplest level, if I may, at its simplest yeah. level, it's just the ability to change the shape of your body. Yeah. Okay. And that's, um, we talked about a bunch of stuff. So I, so it's just a closing, cl couple closing thoughts. The body moves in one piece, always has moved in one piece and will continue to move in one piece. Just because you're, you are this closed system, like either the fire hose example or just a closed balloon. So I squeeze one part of the body, other parts move. That's, I guess, the the simplest way I can put it, and that and that that understanding, to, and then talking about, we're always going to be talking about shape change because that's what's happening as we move. Yes. So it isn't about balancing out exercises. It isn't about strengthening certain areas of the body. It's about moving, allowing the body to move the way that it should based on its inherent structure. And then try not to get in the way of how it needs to move for a specific activity. Correct. Depending on depending on goals and and depending on on sure. what you're willing to give up in return. Again, it's yeah, like, like the powerlifting like, example. We have yeah, we just have to understand the trade offs that are associated with this. Not everything not everything is is best. Not everything is is quote unquote good for you, depending on what your intention is. Right. You're, like, you're, you're, you're going to make a sacrifice in one direction or the other, depending on what your choices are. Right. Again, if, you, if, if the goal is to maximize force production, the best way to do that is to reduce your ability to access certain motions and positions. And that, and that, that can be done through exercise. If your intention is to improve upon or maintain certain motions, then that has to be taken into consideration when you're making decisions as to how you're going to exercise. Reconsider is sponsored by Substance Nutrition. Go to substancenutrition.com, get your neuro coffee, better coffee, better brain, and synthesis, better protein, better body. Enter the coupon code RECON, R-E-C-O-N, and get free shipping on all of your orders.